life is brighter when we understand the science behind it. Hey everyone! Hello! Welcome back to Getting Brighter, the podcast where we shed light on the science of health, wealth and society. We're breaking down the latest research and providing you with practical tools for positive change. I'm Dr Emily Hughes, a social psychologist. And I'm soon to be Dr Marsha Remscar, and I'm a behavioural scientist specialising in health psychology. And today we'll be talking about diet, mood and mental health. Yes. Yeah, a very exciting one. I'm very excited to delve into all of this. So I feel like we can just jump on straight into this one. A little bit of kind of scene setting to do, getting to understand exactly what we mean by diet. So do you want to kind of talk us through that to begin with? Yes. So I thought it was really important to clear up this distinction because in the context of today's episode, what we mean by diet is the collection of food and drinks that we all consume and the patterns around it. So that's things like quantity, quality, the combinations we're consuming things in and the timing. So that's what we mean by diet rather than diet in the context of dieting or losing weight. Yeah, exactly. So while we all have a diet, only some of us are on a diet. And that's kind of an important thing to keep in mind, that distinction. Yes, exactly. So talking about diet in this context, this has been studied for a really long time, particularly for physical health effects. Just think about the saying, you are what you eat, for example. But only in the past decade or two, we've actually started getting a lot of research in on the effects on mental health as well. And that's what we'll be talking about today. And just before we get into the discussion, just a little reminder that we are not recommending that anyone drastically change their habits or their diet without consulting a doctor first. And this holds particularly true if you've previously been recommended to follow a diet or avoid anything for medical reasons. So each listener, you know yourself and your body best. And the evidence we'll be talking about generally holds true for relatively healthy people with no special requirements. Yeah, really important just to keep that in mind as we go throughout the episode. So let's get into the evidence a little bit and start thinking about whether there is essentially a link between diet and mental health. So can what we eat and what we drink affect how we feel or even contribute perhaps to the onset or prevention of mental illness? Yes. So the really short and sweet of it is yes. We know that what we eat, how much we eat most certainly can affect how we feel both moment to moment as well as kind of over long periods of time which can contribute to mental illness. And the most obvious effect on this is through physical health. So people who eat either excessive amounts or unhealthy diets are much more likely to be overweight or obese, which is itself associated with a higher risk of depression, anxiety, lower levels of well-being, and then a host of physical conditions I mentioned previously. So things like cardiovascular disease and even mortality, so your risk of death. Mm. But there are also effects of diet that are detectable before obesity is visible or that don't go through physiological mechanisms at all. So to get started thinking about this, a really famous study in mice fed a group of mice a high-fat diet and then a control group a normal diet Mm. with balanced nutrients. And in as little as three weeks, the high-fat diet mice were displaying what authors called depression-like behaviours. So they were less social, they displayed um, less grooming behaviour, which is their version of kind of self-care. Yeah. And yeah, less socialising. And actually by eight weeks, so only two months in, the mice's brain showed a different structure with fewer serotonin receptors, which we know is signature of depression. Yeah. That really kind of pronounced effects of diet. A similar pattern has been shown in humans as well. 
And while of course it is unethical to prescribe a potentially harmful diet to a person, unfortunately a lot of people already follow those types of diet in their Mm -hmm. lives. So we can do what are called cross-sectional studies where we essentially take a large group of people and compare them based on a behaviour they already do or a characteristic that they already have. And that is a really a much more ethical way of getting insight into what the effects of diet might be. Yeah. And there is a massive uh, UK-based data set with over 80,000 participants in there called the Biobank data that a lot of studies have been done on. And this data set has shown an association between the quality of one's diet, so how healthy the diet you're eating is, and your risk of depression over time mm. in a way that a higher quality diet protects against the onset of depression. Yeah, no, that's really, really amazing evidence and a really good quality evidence base there as well. Okay, so now we know that diet has consequences for our mood and for our mental health. What type of diet is best then? A great question. So the Mediterranean diet is the big player here and it has by far the most research. So we'll be talking about it the most. For those not familiar, the Mediterranean diet refers to a pattern of eating that's signature of places like Italy or Greece and includes pretty much daily intake of fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, fish, white meats and a lot of olive oil. Mm. It might also include a bit, so moderate consumption of dairy products, a bit of red meat and even low to moderate amounts of red or white wine. Sure many people will be happy to hear that. Um, And it is actually, the Mediterranean diet is protected by UNESCO as intangible cultural heritage. And it's important to say that it transcends the, just the nutritional content of the diet. Mm. So in its kind of holistic sense, the Mediterranean diet also refers to the way food is cultivated, prepared, consumed, and what patterns and and kind of the enjoyment of food in that as well. Yeah, all of that is as a collective really important to, to those effects. And we know that that diet has really well established physical health benefits. So for example, studies that have prescribed the Mediterranean diet have found a reduced risk of developing conditions such as heart disease, osteoarthritis, neurogenitive disease, and also some cancers. And we also know that it's associated with lower mortality and longer lifespans. Mm -hmm. You're going to live longer lives, which is a great benefit. (laughs) Yeah. And the evidence base really is quite strong for physical health benefits. And in the mental health space, actually, We also have good evidence finding that following the Mediterranean diet is associated with less depression than Mm. a more traditional Western diet that has more processed food, for example. Causal research, so not cross-sectional studies as we talked about so far, but causal research has also confirmed that following a Mediterranean diet can actually help prevent depression and in some cases also helps treat it. So a couple of examples here, a really large Spanish study with over 10,000 participants showed that the closer participants followed the Mediterranean diet, the lesser their chance of developing depression over the next five years, for example. Mm -hmm. And then there was also a really famous randomized control trial. So again, causal evidence called the SMILES trial. You might have heard of this one before, where they compared 12 weeks worth of nutritional counselling where nutritionists were recommending a Mediterranean diet to the same amount of time spent in a social support group for people that had pretty bad clinical depression. And they found that after three months of either nutritional counselling or a social support group, a third of the nutritional group was in remission. That means that a third of them no longer scored high enough on depression measures to actually have depression. So they no longer had depression, in fact, whereas 
this was 8% remission for the social support group. Yeah. Still some benefit, but the diet group actually had four times as many people in remission. So yeah. absolutely crazy, like staggering effect. Yeah, that's a lot. And I guess it's important still to remember that there was some increase in that social support group. So mm-hmm. there is still an effect there. It is still having benefits for people. But I guess one of the challenges with clinical depression is that, you know, perhaps that support group isn't going to be the best thing for you to join at that time. There are barriers to engage you know is that something that you're going to want to engage with when you're already not feeling Mm -hmm. the best and most social so I think there are perhaps some reasons why in that particular case groups are not always going to be the easiest thing for you to engage with and therefore Mm -hmm. you're not going to get the most benefit out of them so yeah interesting thing to keep in mind perhaps and maybe some of that explains that result there as well definitely so this is a really nice example I think of thinking critically about the research and about what what did it compare things to right and what just putting it in context of how the study was done, who was it done on? And I think that's something that is a really great skill so that when perhaps you look at research by yourself, you are able to do that evaluation by yourself. Like why did that effect perhaps not take hold there? What could be the reasons explaining it? Like Mm -hmm. something to Mm -hmm. think about. And then the studies that we've just spoken about are actually not the only studies. There have been whole systematic reviews and meta-analyses done on the effects of Mediterranean diet on mental health and it is proven to help mood, reduce depression and reduce anxiety over and over again. Yeah, so that's really strong evidence because that's pulling together everything we know and that comes to that conclusion. Okay, so we've just spoken there a bit about how the Mediterranean diet can be really beneficial. Are there any other common types of diet that have been researched? So for example, the vegetarian diet, the vegan diet, being keto, paleo, these are all diets that we're aware of. Are these also beneficial for our health, particularly mental health? Yes. So just as a whole, there has been much less research into all of those than it has been for the Mediterranean diet, Mm -hmm. just to set the scene for what quality of evidence we have. But because they are so common, I think it's worth talking about the evidence base that does exist. Yeah, definitely. So if we start with the vegetarian diet, that is where obviously people avoid eating meat and oftentimes fish but still do eat dairy. In terms of physical health benefits, it is associated with greater longevity. So that means um, living longer and lower mortality, so a lower risk of death. Whereas for mental health effects, systematic reviews of evidence actually find no significant relationship between whether or not you are vegetarian and your risk of developing depression or anxiety. And there is currently insufficient data to draw any firm conclusions for stress levels. Mm. So this indicates that, you know, it's not as clear cut for mental health as it is for physical health. However, a handful of cross-sectional studies, so again, the kinds of studies where we look at something that is already happening or that a trait people already have, and that cannot indicate causality, so what direction the effect goes in. Cross-sectional studies have found that vegetarians can actually sometimes experience slightly more anxiety and slightly more negative affect, which essentially means slightly more negative emotions. Mm. While these effects are obviously small and not all studies agree, I still thought that was a very interesting finding that I wasn't aware of previously. And then I started digging into why that might be. Mm. So why would vegetarians potentially have slightly more anxiety or, you know, lower mood? And there's a few possible explanations for it. The first one that research suggests is that people who are vegetarian or have other restrictive diets have a slightly higher chance of being deficient in certain nutrients. Mm. So we know that with something like being vegetarian or vegan, you just have to pay particular attention to supplementing what you might not be bringing in with a diet that includes meat, for example. But actually, the picture is even more nuanced 
than that. So it's not just down to nutritional deficiencies either. It might actually be context and the reasons why people follow a certain diet or not that can add to your mood. Mm. There was a nice study in 2022 that compared meat eaters, vegetarians or vegans who have kind of been established in that pattern of eating and what they called meat reducers. So those were vegetarians or flexitarians who were actively trying to reduce their meat intake. And this was different from what they were previously doing. Mm. So they were, they were actively trying to change their habits. And they found that the meat reducers group was the one that reported feeling the most kind of feelings of dissatisfaction, okay. whereas people who had been vegan or vegetarian for some time, and actually this was their established pattern of eating, they had completely similar levels of satisfaction mm -hmm. to kind of people who were eating meat. And this suggests that the reason why some studies might actually find slightly more negative feelings in the group of vegetarians is because that group will include people who are making a change from what they previously did. Yeah. And this can be explained by the process of cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of fancy talk for feeling torn between enjoying meat on one hand, but knowing it might be good for you or for the planet to reduce it on the other. Yeah. So there's that dilemma that emerges. And it is likely this dilemma and trying to adapt to a new pattern that can be impacting their well-being and not the actual nutrients of a vegetarian diet. Yeah. So in itself. research, all of these different types of vegetarian are essentially categorised and bunched together. Mm -hmm. There's going to be differences in whether you've been a vegetarian yes. for a long time or whether this is a newly mm -hmm. emerging thing for you and you're kind of transitioning into yeah. making that change. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So altogether, the literature base on a vegetarian diet suggests that being vegetarian itself might not be enough to get substantial mental health benefits, but is equally very unlikely to harm it. Mm. But there are obviously some very good reasons still for being veggie, particularly if it aligns with your values, it can be really beneficial for your personal well-being. Yeah. So that, for example, is why I personally follow a vegetarian diet. Yeah. Then we can also look at the vegan diet. So that is where people avoid any animal-derived products, including dairy and eggs, for example. Mm. A lot of the studies here overlap with those for vegetarians. So they'll kind of lump vegan and vegetarians together in one category. And there is less vegan-specific research. There's actually, interestingly, a research group from Manchester tried conducting a meta-analysis. So that kind of study where you pull together a lot of different studies. Yeah. And they found one single study that researched the effects <laughs> of a vegan diet on mental health outcomes. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that one study did find benefits, but was unfortunately not of very good quality. Okay. So we can't say with any certainty that a vegan diet has much effect for mental health. Yeah. But there is, again more nuance. So for mental health benefits, some studies have found that the quality of your vegan or plant-based diet can actually matter more than whether or not you're vegan in the first place. Yeah. So of course you can be vegan, not consume animal-derived products, but if they're still processed yeah. or kind of heavily out of balance or you eat excessive amounts, that can still be bad for your overall health, including mental health. Yeah. So studies find that people following a high quality vegan diet that includes a lot of fresh foods, a lot of non-processed foods can actually protect against depression. Whereas a low quality vegan diet seems to be equally non-protective 
to, you know, possibly developing depression as a meat eating diet. Yeah. So that's some rationale for kind of avoiding some of those like meat substitutes that are perhaps a nice intuitive swap for what you might have been eating before. But perhaps because they are so overly processed, that's not necessarily going to give you the benefits for mental health that you might hope for. Possibly. Yeah. Just keeping in mind that, you know, just being vegan does not necessarily equal being healthy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then let's just touch on a couple of other relatively common diets as well. So um, ketogenic diet is a kind of high fat, low carbohydrate and moderate protein diet that can change the chemical balance of the body Mm. because it makes the body use ketones as fuel instead of the usual carbohydrates. And that is sometimes recommended for epilepsy patients who don't respond to medication. Okay, It's actually found to be relatively effective there, but that's a completely different topic. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, there is relatively little research into mood disorders or mental health and it's not made it into any kind of clinical guidance yet but a systematic review that included a bunch of psychiatric conditions from kind of anorexia to narcolepsy where people just kind of fall asleep randomly found some support for a keto diet improving mental health but because the range of conditions was so big the evidence is still quite weak overall yeah but the suggested mechanisms for following this diet could be that a keto diet could help balance the neurochemistry of the body and reduce inflammation, which we've touched on before, can have beneficial effects on both physical and mental health. Mm. And then finally, a paleo diet people might have also come across. Um, It's sometimes called a caveman diet because the idea is that it mimics what our ancestors would have been eating in the Paleolithic era. So that's about 10,000 years ago and further back. That's before humans kind of started farming. So similar to keto, it's quite low in carbohydrates, doesn't have any grains and it's quite high in fat and protein. Mm. So think things like grass-fed beef, fatty fish, nuts, seeds, all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And also no dairy. So there's even less research on the paleo diet and very little consistency. While there's some evidence showing benefits for things like weight loss or physical conditions like multiple sclerosis, even though that evidence itself is not very strong. Yeah. But comparatively, there is barely any for mental health effects. So we'll just leave it there yeah. and say there is currently not enough evidence it's for paleo. It's really interesting how little evidence there is for some mm-hmm. of these diets, considering their popularity. So yes. yeah, yeah. It, it's quite eye-opening, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it is kind of refreshing to look at the evidence and say, what do we actually know scientifically yeah. about this? So we've just spoken there about how diet can affect how we feel, our mental health. What are the mechanisms at play there? So there's a few possible ones, as always. And the one big one that has been really popular lately, both in research and in kind of the media and just general conversation, is the gut microbiome. Mm. So that is the collection of kind of billions of bacteria and fungi, upwards of a thousand different species even, that live in our gut to help us digest food. Mm. We all have them. It's very normal. They are necessary. And these microbes essentially feed on what we feed on and then help us break the food down. So the people eating different diets will have different compositions of their gut microbiome. Yeah. And it has actually been shown that people with depression or anxiety have measurably different bacteria. So they have lower diversity, less different species, and different proportions of different strains Mm. compared to healthy people. So people who do not have depression, which I think is really telling about the role of the microbiome. And equally, studies have shown that eating kind of happy foods, so things like fermented foods or fibre that we know can lead to a healthier microbiome, can help us get closer to that kind of healthy microbiome 
profile. And sometimes things like probiotics and prebiotic supplements can help there too. Yeah, for people that are really interested in this, there are some really informative books such as Gut by Julia Enders um, and also 10% Human by Dr. Alana Collin, who is an evolutionary biologist. So Mm -hmm. if you're super interested in the gut microbiome, that'd be good for you to go and check out. I really enjoyed them both. Mm. Another reason why what we eat might affect how we feel is because of something known as the gut-brain axis. And this idea is basically that the brain and all of our bodily systems are really closely linked to the gut. It's microbiome and the compounds absorbed or produced there. So neurotransmitters or hormones are synthesized in the gut. And there's a really famous American gut study, which found really interestingly that people that eat more than 30 different plants per week, so things like seeds, oils, grains, herbs and spices, those all count as plants in that sense have a significantly more diverse and health-productive gut microbiome than people that eat 10 or less. Mm -hmm. I really love that study. I think it's really interesting. All the different things that we don't necessarily think of as plants that Mm -hmm. are included under that, that have such a big effect there. And another reason why our diet can affect how we feel is that because a good quality diet can protect against oxidative stress, which also reduces inflammation. So chronic inflammation resulting from stress or poor diet can be associated with an increased risk of depression, conditions such as Alzheimer's, also heart disease, among many others. Mm -hmm. So another book recommendation incoming. There's a great book on this called The Inflamed Mind by Edward Bulmore. He is a doctor and a psychiatrist, and he puts forward the idea that a lot of the common mood disorders like depression are caused mainly by prolonged chronic inflammation of the body. Mm. So have a read of that if you're interested. Yeah. Okay. And then a final mechanism why a good quality diet can affect how we feel is because this can increase our brain health. So we've spoken previously in episodes about neuroplasticity, neurogenesis, so the number and strength of the connections between our neurons. So do revisit one of our previous episodes if you are interested in learning more about this. But that is also one of the key mechanisms at play here in that link between diet and Mm. mood. And then beyond the general patterns of diet, so things like, you know, Mediterranean, vegetarian, whatever, we also know that there are specific nutrients that Mm -hmm. have been linked to effects on mental health. So can you tell us about any of those? Yeah. So one of the really important ones to think about are omega-3s. These are polyunsaturated fatty acids. And this is one of the better known and perhaps more research supplements found in fatty fish and also seeds like linseed. And there is some pretty conclusive scientific evidence around the idea that supplementing with omega-3 can improve symptoms of depression. We've known this as far back as around 2014 from meta-analyses. And this is also recommended as an adjunctive treatment for depression or prevention by the International Society for Nutritional Psychiatry. So the recommended dose here is one to two grams of a subcomponent EPA, often in combination with DHA. And what you're really looking for here is a high quality approved Mm -hmm. supplement to use. Very important. Yeah, exactly. Um, Not all science agrees, though. So there's another review um, with around 50,000 participants, which is, you know, a good number, which looks at prevention. And they found no statistical difference between supplementing omega-3s and a placebo. So this is a pill that doesn't have any active component. And this was looking at depression and anxiety risk. There's also been no research focusing on omega-6s specifically, which could mean that omegas are more effective for treatment than prevention, or also could be due to the difficulty of capturing effects of these behavioural interventions. So as we spoke about a little bit before, sometimes you have problems with adherence, 
and there are also many other influencing factors. Omega-3s are also recommended for prevention and treatment of perinatal or postnatal depression. But again, not evidence agrees here. So there is some variation in the research. Yes, omega-3s are definitely a big one to consider when thinking about specific compounds for mental health benefits. Another one, another type of compound is vitamins. We've all heard of vitamins. They are crucial for keeping our bodies and minds working optimally. We know that some are water-soluble, some are fat-soluble, and this has implications for kind of how readily they're absorbed, taking us all to (laughs) A-level biology (laughs) here. But the first type of vitamin to consider is vitamin B complex. So this is a group of vitamins from B1 to B12 that has been researched quite extensively in relation to mental health. Mm. And the evidence says the following. A large correlational study found that more dietary intake of vitamin B7, which is also known as biotin, Mm. is associated with lower symptoms of depression, anxiety and stress. Vitamin B9, which is known as folic acid, Mm. is associated with lower depression, whereas vitamins B1, B3 and B5 are associated with lower anxiety. So on the whole, vitamin B complex ingesting it seems to be beneficial for mental health. Mm. The correlation could also go the other way. So the the relationship can also go the other way because people with depression are actually more likely to have vitamin B deficiencies. Mm. So we're not entirely sure which way around it goes. Now, supplementing vitamin B is actually often recommended already as part of a healthy diet because levels of vitamin B in the food we ingest have been dropping throughout the last few decades. So as grains get more processed, as vegetables and fruits travel further from the time they were picked, it is increasingly recommended that people do take vitamin B supplements. Yeah. The second vitamin we'll consider today is vitamin D, Mm -hmm. which we know is needed for healthy neurotransmission in the brain. And we know that it's involved in mood and mood disorders, particularly depression. Mm. A lot of people actually have quite low levels of vitamin D anyway. So about one in six UK adults are estimated to have a vitamin D deficiency. And this is particularly true in winter months when we are less exposed to sunlight. Yeah. But in terms of the evidence, some correlational reviews with, again, you know, tens of thousands of people find that people with low levels of vitamin D are actually the most likely to get depression. Whereas on the flip side, people with depression are also much more likely to be vitamin D deficient than healthy controls without depression. So we can see that there is a relationship there. Then causal research where people have been suggested vitamin D supplementation Mm -hmm. also actually finds that vitamin D can help ease symptoms of depression. And these effects are stronger for those who had worse depression to begin with or those who were vitamin D deficient to begin with. Yeah, that's really useful though, because that clarifies that. Yeah. So often in a lot of this research, you're not sure which way, what is causing what. And so Mm -hmm. that's really useful to to have that. So in summary of this vitamin section, neither vitamin B complex or vitamin D are currently formally recognised as a treatment for depression or anxiety. Mm. But there is good evidence to show that they can have benefits for it, as well as helping overall kind of physical health and well-being. Yeah. And also it's worth considering supplementation when we take into account that many people are deficient already. So even if you're not struggling with mental health, you might already be deficient. Yeah. Another really important thing to consider are minerals. So these are things like zinc and magnesium. Here there is limited research and these minerals are often researched in combination with other nutrients and supplements. So it can be hard here to kind of tease out those direct effects. But what we see is that both have at least some evidence for improvements in depressive symptoms. And actually, there is so much more that we could talk about that we don't have time for within this episode. So things like fermented foods, probiotics, prebiotics, 
antioxidants, dietary fiber, diet induced inflammation. Mm -hmm. There are so many things that are important within this space. Yeah. And that does not even begin to consider things like the context, you know, the timing of meals, things like time restricted feeding or also known as intermittent fasting, things like attitudes around food, who we enjoy them with. Are we paying attention to food? Are we distracted? It really is a bit of a beast (laughs) of an evidence base. (laughs) Yeah. So there's definitely another episode's worth of data, just even on the context of eating and how that impacts us. Mm -hmm. So if you are interested in hearing about that, do let us know and we will consider putting on another episode in a possible series two if that ever comes to light. So the next section of the podcast is debatable and this is where we discuss some open questions in the literature and also some points of contention. So we've spoken a lot there about dietary advice and some of the supplements and food types that are really beneficial for mental health. But I suppose one thing to consider is whether or not the same dietary advice would have the same outcome for everyone. Mm -hmm. So is there such a thing as a universally healthy diet or can we all benefit from foods local to our environment? So if we're taking a Mediterranean diet in the UK or the US, is this still going to be beneficial for us even if that diet is not local for Mm -hmm. us? Mm -hmm. A completely logical question. So while the majority of research on the Mediterranean diet does indeed originate in or close to the Mediterranean, Mm -hmm. so, you know, in Italy, Greece, Spain, and places like that, studies have also been done elsewhere. So places like the US, Australia, Japan, so, you know, nowhere near the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. And generally, we see no obvious differences between the effects of a Mediterranean diet for genuinely Mediterranean samples Mm -hmm. and people from other geographical areas. So this is from a meta-analysis on a risk of diabetes, so not entirely for mental health, but since the effects are similar on physical health, I think it's fair to say that it does probably transfer to mental health as well. Mm. And this is probably because, I guess, at an anatomical level, humans living everywhere in the world are incredibly similar. Mm -hmm. So we need largely the same macro and Mm -hmm. micronutrients. And so therefore diet will affect us via the same mechanisms. Mm -hmm. So currently we have no evidence to believe that different types of diets only benefit people to whom they are local. Yeah, exactly. Even though eating locally produced food still has some other benefits. So things like lesser CO2 emissions because it needs less transport. It might have higher levels of nutrients because there might have been less time since the food was picked if Mm -hmm. it's fresh. And sometimes locally produced food can be lower in price, again, because less transport was needed. Some groups also have completely different dietary requirements and have separate guidelines, but those mostly refer to kind of physical health requirements. So that can be groups like pregnant and breastfeeding women, the elderly or cancer patients, for example, or cancer survivors as well. And there is not as much out there for mental health groups specifically for example depression patients do not have a their own set of dietary guidelines and so another thing that might be interesting to think about is sort of the feasibility of some of these diets and how easy perhaps they are to follow so if following a diet for example is stressful or difficult could that potentially counteract the benefits of said diet itself so particularly if we are following it for mental health reasons as opposed to you know health reasons more generally in terms of physical health. Mm -hmm. I think a really relatable question there. Mm. We know that changing behavior in any way or building new habits can be really difficult. Yeah. And even when we know the behavior is actually good for us, so the change we're trying to make will be good for us in the long run. There's actually its own whole branch of science called behavioral science, which is my own field, that's trying to figure out how to best help people make good lifestyle choices. Mm. (laughs) Spoiler alert, we've not figured it out yet. Yeah. But a study we mentioned earlier did find that people trying to reduce their meat intake 
when that wasn't necessarily what they wanted to do, mm. actually reported slightly lower mood on average than quote unquote established vegetarians or meat eaters. Mm. And this is probably due to what we mentioned. So the cognitive dissonance or the mental effort it takes to try and change your habits and make the right decisions yeah. when we don't actually want to. So yes, there, there is some evidence showing that following a diet we perceive as restrictive can impact our mood and well-being. Yeah. And I definitely have experience of that there have been times where I've had to, for health reasons, had to follow things such as FODMAPs. I've had to try and go mm. gluten-free for six months, maybe cut out dairy for four months. Mm. And I know even though that's something that I perhaps haven't had so much choice in doing, I've found that really tricky, especially yeah. in social situations or eating out when mm -hmm. you know you really want some cake or mm -hmm. you just want some ice cream and you know that you can't do that. And I suppose if you're doing it because you want to as well, mm -hmm. and there's no restriction there in terms of physical health, mm -hmm. but it's because it's an active choice that you're making that mm -hmm. decision, then there's even more motivation and effort required there to stay true to the decision you've made. Yes, absolutely. You've touched on something we'll dive into in the next episode. So tune in next week if you're yeah. interested in uh, hearing all about motivation. But yes, Studies actually do find this similar pattern of why people follow a diet can be really impactful on mm -hmm. how successful they are and on how kind of tasking they find it. Yeah. So because the benefits of changing our diet can still be substantial, we can look at people who have done it successfully and then try and follow the patterns to try and prevent this mental load and mental effort from happening. And there was a really interesting study from Australia that looked at a few groups following restrictive diets. So that was everything from vegan, paleo, gluten-free, low calorie, when trying to lose weight. So all of these groups, and they looked at factors that predicted how successful people were at following those diets over long term. Mm. And what they found was that the people who followed a diet they actually identified with, a diet they believed in that aligned with their values, were the most successful by far in following it. Mm. So as one person put it, eating this way is really an important part of who I am. Yep. And in this study, this was mostly vegan and vegetarian people. So they tend to have the strongest kind of sense of identity with yeah. the, the way they eat. Another factor that made it much easier for people to stick to their diet was the sense of self-efficacy around it. So that is their belief that they are actually able to do it, that they're in control of mm -hmm. what they eat and they can make those decisions. On the other hand, people who were eating a certain way because they had to, so perhaps because they were told to do so by a doctor, were actually much less successful in doing so. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that all makes complete sense when mm -hmm. we think about the results we've spoken about so far. Mm -hmm. And I suppose that what this suggests when we're trying to change our diet then, that it's best if we can try and make slow and gradual changes that we mm -hmm. feel manageable. And also that we choose a diet, as you say, that aligns with our values and our identity mm -hmm. and also to hang on and remind ourselves of this alignment. So if you're vegetarian or vegan for moral or environmental reasons, then just remembering that and that will help you engage in the behaviour because mm -hmm. you'll remember why you're doing it. And also just trying to increase our sense of efficacy if we can in any way. So just feeling able to do it means that we're like to translate our kind of opinions and feelings into that behavior. Mm -hmm. So the final section of today's podcast is doable. And this is where we give some actionable steps based on the science that we've discussed so far. So in sum, what should we be eating for maximal mental health benefit? So different things will work for different people. But here are three different ways you can go about a diet that is science based and beneficial to mental health. Mm. The first option is following a Mediterranean style diet or another mostly plant based diet with balanced macronutrients. 
The other's diets are somewhat less researched and can be sometimes less practical or less sustainable, but can still be really good options for some individuals, particularly if they align with your values and give you a sense of purpose. Another really important thing can be to try and incorporate as many plants as possible into your diet. So looking at that American gut study we mentioned earlier, that suggested to try and get around 30 plants per week if possible. And remembering that this also includes things like grains, legumes, herbs, and also spices. This kind of diet will help maintain a healthy microbiome, which is a basis for good mental health, physical health, and also immune functioning. A third way that's even simpler and even less restrictive is to follow the American author Michael Pollan's advice. He's written on nutrition extensively and his advice is eat food, mostly plants, not too much. What that means is essentially got the same principles as what we've spoken about before. It wants you to eat mostly unprocessed fresh food that is largely from plant-based sources and also refers to kind of reasonable quantities and listening to your own body when you eat. It emphasises moderation and balance, but beyond that, it can feel pretty kind of doable. So it's not too restrictive. And with that, that wraps up our episode on diet and mental health. And of course, as we've discussed, there is so much more to say on this topic about the context in which we eat, timings and also habits. So hopefully we'll be able to get to that in a future episode if you're interested. If you're getting brighter from this podcast, then make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Once you're there, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a review of anywhere up to five stars. If you have any feedback, questions or suggestions for future episodes, or you're just nosy and want to put faces to the names, then you can find us on all of our socials at Get Brighter Pod. And if you're a bit more old school, we also check our emails at getbrighterpod at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear what you have to say. We'd like to thank the Southwest Doctoral Training Partnership for supporting this podcast. And to finish off with our disclaimer. The Getting Brighter podcast is separate from our research and teaching roles at our respective universities. However, it is part of our shared passion for communicating science in an accessible and enjoyable way. Any advice given does not consider your unique individual circumstances, and we encourage you to seek professional guidance before making any significant lifestyle changes. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. See you next time. Bye. Bye.